I appreciate what the Lord has done for us. If you will, find your place in James chapter number five. We're going to get back on uh, our, our study here in James chapter number five. I'd like to finish this. I believe that we'll be able to finish this tonight. And uh, I don't know that we will, but I think that we will after having read and looked and studied. And uh, for those of you who are visiting, my messages are a lot like crossing a tight barbed wire fence. Just a couple more points and I'll be through, okay? And so that's kind of how it goes sometimes. But uh, I think that we can get through it uh, in, in one message uh, tonight, all right? So let's read, if we can, uh, James chapter number 5. Uh, Let's read starting in verse number 17. I'll just read the last four verses of James chapter number five and uh, then I believe we'll, we'll be where we need to be tonight, okay? Let's stand, if you will, for the reading and reverence of the word of God tonight. We don't have much to read here. I'll read, pray, and you can be seated and then we'll get into the message. But James chapter number five, verse number 17 says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. You can be seated tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for each and every one that's come out tonight to be in your house. And Lord, we trust God that you'll help us tonight, uh, Lord, as we look into this study. We are very burdened, and Lord, you've given us a thought and a series of messages for Sunday morning. And Lord, I, I don't know what all you have in store there, but I know tonight, Lord, it's my heart's desire and my endeavor to study through the remainder of this chapter Lord, to feed your sheep and to uh, look in the truths of the word of God. And Lord, I don't ever want it to be said of me that while I was out chasing wayward sheep that I let the sheep that come into the trough starve to death. And I do ask God that you'd feed us from the word of God. Give me clarity of thought and speech tonight. Help me, Lord, to help those that have come out to hear the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you'd touch my heart. You have through studying this. You've shown me a couple things I have never paid attention to before. And I pray, God, tonight that you'd just help us for a little while to glean in your word uh, and to walk out of this church building tonight better equipped than when we come in. And I know that your word, Lord, will thoroughly furnish us, Lord, in the way that we need to be furnished. We'll thank you, Father, praise you, give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, as we began our study uh, in this uh, particular chapter, I did not know when I started uh, the very first message, studying the very first message, uh, that I would wind up going through the whole chapter, but the Lord has led us that way. And I think we've been in this particular passage of Scripture. This will probably be our sixth message and hopefully our final one so that we can move on uh, to some other things the Lord has been dealing with our heart about. But as we started, just to recap for a minute, uh, we went through verses 1 through 6 when we started in this chapter, dealing with the dangers of riches. And then we got down to verse number seven and we dealt with those three words there, be patient therefore. And we preached a message on patience or the trying of your faith. 
And uh, we dealt with verses 7 through 11 in another message considering this matter of endurance and establishing your hearts and being happy, uh, counting them happy which endure. Then we preached a message out of verses 12 through 14 uh, where the Bible talks about uh, but above all these things, my brethren, swear not. And we were talking about the importance of showing ourselves uh, trustworthy, how everything that had led up to this point uh, would be for nothing if we weren't trustworthy, if people couldn't see us uh, as, as, as honest, knowing that uh, there is a work to be done, that the Lord has not come back yet because he is extending mercy and grace to a lost and dying world. And because he uh, is extended that, the Bible says, be ye also patient. And so we know to be patient because the, uh, uh, but to establish our hearts because the Lord will indeed come back, although he has not yet, he will. He will call the church home, but until he does, we're to be about the Father's business and we are to be showing ourselves trustworthy. And uh, then we get down here to verses 13 through 18 and we were uh, dealing with this thought the Lord give us on rendering according to the benefit, knowing that not everything that we pray for will come to pass, knowing that not everybody that's ever been sick that's been born again by the grace of God did not have their sickness healed. And knowing that Paul had a thorn in the flesh, he sought the Lord not once, not twice, but three times to have it taken from him. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And I am thankful that sometimes when the things that we want to be taken out of our life are not taken out of our life, that there is grace to help us manage and deal with these things in that time, okay? And so we were dealing with that. Tonight, though, uh, we wanna look at verses 17 through 20, and we're gonna consider Elijah for a few minutes here. Now, we've been given two examples in this portion or in this chapter here, one being that of Job being a very prominent example of patience when we were learning about patience, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience worketh experience, and experience worketh hope, right? And so uh, we, we know these things, and, and so Job is a picture of, of the, the patience uh, that a man has to have to endure some things. We do know that Job uh, feared God. He, he, he was a trustworthy man. He loved the Lord. He did not let his integrity go by the wayside in his time of trouble, even though he was counseled in that direction to do so, right? And so then we have this, this matter of Elijah, who is our... Uh, uh, Someone that is being written in this chapter for an example. And so I want to look at him tonight if the Lord would be our helper. Now this comes on the tail end of this matter of faith. This comes on the tail end of learning that not everything that we desire comes to pass. But we do know that the Lord works things in our life to make them effectual. We talk about how someone who is sick that has a sickness or an ailment that only God could heal or God could fix or God could take away from them. And people pray for them in that manner and the Lord answers the prayer and, and we see that that man or that woman or that boy or that girl that was sick that the Lord healed or took that sickness away from them. We glory God, glorify God. We look towards heaven and praise Him and, and say, Lord, we know this only happened because of you. And people see that and it, 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 it puts legs on what it is that we're saying about the Lord and our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. People see the effect of something that only the Lord could do. That is effectual. 
Only the Lord can get praise and glory and honor out of doing something that you and I can't do, that we pray for and go to him and petition him for. But just like Paul, who had the thorn in the flesh, knowing that, that he wished and wanted for that to be taken away from him, but was not able to because the Lord said uh, that uh, um, your strength is made, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So the Lord's strength was magnified in the weakness of Paul. So Paul's thorn in the flesh, well, he was more effectual for the cause of Christ with the thorn in the flesh than he was without the thorn in the flesh. And sometimes we have to look at, uh, at the, the, uh, this matter of being effectual. What is, what is what the Lord doing in my life uh, doing for the cause of Christ, right? Now, we understand that we, we learned in Acts chapter number 9 that when the Lord told Ananias that Paul was, was going to have to suffer for his name's sake, that it was through Paul's suffering that made Paul an effectual witness for the cause of Christ, right? I mean, that suffering done something in Paul's life for whose name's sake? Not for Paul's. Now we look at Paul and we think, whoo, Paul was a preacher of preachers. Look at what, look at Paul. Paul kept back nothing that was profitable. But really what's happening is here, Paul's uh, thorns in the flesh and Paul's suffering and Paul's problems didn't point to Paul, but it pointed towards the Lord. Now we look at it in hindsight and we're looking at Paul. But in the day of Paul, when Paul was walking on the earth, people was looking at Paul and seeing the Lord. And so you need to understand that's, that not everything that we go through that we want taken away from us will be effectual for the cause of Christ. We talked about Hezekiah and how that uh, he had served the Lord and he prayed to the Lord and he talked to the Lord and reminded the Lord when he was given this bad news that he was sick unto death. And we know that, that the Lord listened to what Hezekiah had to say. The Lord didn't argue with him. The Lord didn't say, no, you didn't love me, or no, you didn't work for me, or no, you didn't bless my name. The Lord didn't say that. Hezekiah wasn't lying. Hezekiah did love the Lord. Hezekiah did work for the Lord. Hezekiah did honor the name of the Lord. But you do understand here that we find that, that Hezekiah had a problem that come up. And after the Lord had healed him and given him 15 years, added 15 years unto him, the Bible tells us that Hezekiah had a problem. Hezekiah got lifted up in pride. And here's what I want you to see. Sometimes we want the Lord to heal us. But if the Lord healed us every time we had an ailment, we would feel invincible. And do you know what somebody does and how somebody acts when they think they're invincible? Listen, if you thought today, you know why we have laws in this land? Laws are in this land because people have a tendency to do wrong. And you have consequences that come up when you break the law. And so what would happen if you and I could live forever on this side of eternity and we was immortal and every time we had something wrong with us, we prayed and the Lord healed us from it. We'd get cocky and arrogant and think that nothing could touch us, right? But that's not the case. That would actually take us away from God instead of draw us closer to him. And so Hezekiah, the Bible says, did not render according to the benefit that was given him. And so it did not benefit God to extend to Hezekiah 15 years. And I wonder sometimes when we pray and want the Lord to take things away from us that's in our life, if we're praying these things because we want to benefit the Lord or do we just want the benefit of knowing the Lord? 
We want the benefit of knowing him and having him and being able to call on him. But when he answers our prayer, is what he's doing for us benefiting him back? And so we kind of dealt with that for just a little while. But then we get this example here. We get this example in verse number 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. So as we mentioned last Sunday night, immediately we know that, that although you and I have a tendency to set Elijah up on this, this pedestal, this, this biblical hero that we teach about in Sunday school to these small children, that in all reality, Elijah pulled his britches on in the morning just like you and I do, buttoned his shirt, eat his breakfast, went on his day, lived his life like you and I, had a relationship with the Lord just like you and I can. And, and yes, I would say to you that, that Elijah probably was a, could be considered from our standpoint a special man. A special man, but that's not to say that you and I couldn't also do something special for the Lord. It, it just means that, that, that Elijah's on the same plane as we are. In other words, he's no different than you. And you're no different than Elijah. And I want you to know something through the power of God. See, everything Elijah was, he was because of the Lord. Everything I am and everything you are is only because of the Lord, right? And so when, uh, when Moses went uh, to the children of Israel wanting to know what to say, the Lord didn't say go down there and tell them that you are who you are. He said go down there and tell them that I am sent you. It was all about God. It was all about the Lord, right? Go in the name of the Lord. Don't go in your own name, but go in the name of the Lord. And so Elijah here was a man uh, who was subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly. So we see here as this example is being given that, that we immediately establish that we can be as Elijah or Elijah was like we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth their fruit. So we see an answer to prayer. But we see that this answer to prayer is working in two different directions, right? We see that there's suffering. Through the answer to the first prayer that Elijah prayed, there was a drought, right? We know this. You go back into the into First Kings, I think it's chapter number 17, and you'll find that uh, Ahab and Jezebel are on the scene, and you've got all these uh, uh, prophets of Baal, you've got all these false gods, all these things are happening, and people have turned, the children of Israel, Israel has turned its back on God, and they're worshiping false gods, and what happens here? Elijah, God's man, prays. And the prayer that he prays, he prays because he's wanting something effectual to happen. Now, the, the thing about it is what he's praying for is going to have to bring them low. You'll find that when you got saved by the grace of God, you had to get low and humble before you could be lifted back up again, right? And uh, you find that when you get into sin, you have to be humbled and brought low and, and repent before you can come back again. And so this prayer is being effectual, but this prayer is to actually tear them down. This is, a, this is a chipping away, if you will. Now, we dealt with that a little bit this morning when we were talking about the jailer who had his foundation shaken. Essentially, if you'd allow me to put it this way, Elijah's praying a prayer for a drought to come because he's wanting to shake the foundations of the nation of Israel. And so this prayer is, is going to cause some suffering. This prayer, this is an example now given on the tail end of this matter of prayer of faith. He prayed something that was going to cause suffering, but guess what? It was also going to cause him to have to, 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 to be subject 
under this same drought. See, he didn't get to escape the drought. Now the Lord brought provision. And see, that's the good thing about having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the why tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. So the tribulation was right here in Elijah's face. He was going to have to suffer the drought like everyone else, right? And he was going to have to be patient. He was sitting down there by a drying brook. It was going to be three years and six months before rain come. Hey, he was going to have to sit down there and endure this drought for the same amount of time that the, the nation of Israel was going to have to endure it. And so as we consider this, he's having to deal with the, the tribulation. He's having to be patient. But he experiences some things in this matter. He experiences that if he'll obey God in spite of the fact there is a drought that he too is having to endure, that the ravens would come down to the brook Cherith where he was told to go and would feed him there two good square meals a day and he would not go hungry. But while he's doing that and while he's experiencing this, he's also sitting by a brook that is indeed drying up. And it just seems sometimes, Brother Shane, like it's just one thing after another. And then you find that he has to go down here to the woman of Zarephath and talk to her. Uh, and he's not only is he having to talk to her, but he's having to rely on the fact that she's talked to God. Do you see all the inner workings and interwoven things that's having to happen and be put in the place for Elijah to have provision of God? Sometimes you and I, the puzzle's so broken and it's so, so intertangled and, and, and woven together, you and I can't see how God's going to do the things that he does. And, and it's God's plan. You and I can't figure it out. We look in hindsight and we go, whew, I don't know how I made it there. And it's only by God's hand, but you and I can't figure it out. We can't fix that. We can't put this puzzle together. But we see here that, that there's provision in the midst of this trial, right? And so we're looking at this example. This prayer that's been given was for effect, but it's, it's bringing the children of Israel down low. So Elijah's by a drying brook, right? And uh, uh, so by, we see that, that Israel's not the only one's going to have to suffer. Right, the, this drought was here to bring the people low. And I want to say God, in order to do what he wants to do, sometimes has to get you to that place of, of lowliness, right? Sometimes God has to take you through things you otherwise wouldn't have to go through if you'd have just stayed with God. You know, all Israel had to do, all the children of Israel had to do was just follow God. Stay faithful to God. You know, all you and I have to do today is just stay faithful to God, to love the Lord our God, to serve Him, to stay faithful unto death, to stay in the way, to praise Him in the midnight hours, to, to pray unto God when we feel bound like we learned about Paul and Silas. That's really all we have to do, but we, we, we falter from it. And when we do that, the Lord has to make some things come to pass in our life now, and I understand when we're considering Elijah here, we're considering this more on a national scale. But this will fit within the church and within the home and also within your own personal life. There's some times that you will have to, the Lord, if you will not stay where God wants you to be, he will have to take you to a place where your foundation is shaken. And right now we're working on getting them to a place where their foundation is shaken. All right, and so we see here uh, that, uh, that uh, in 1 Kings, let me go here for just a minute. 1 Kings chapter number 18, I want to show you something that I've seen here. Uh, go with me to 1 Kings chapter 18 
and verse number three. All right? Actually, let's back up to verse one. Let's catch this. Let's catch all this right here. The Bible said, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So we know that the drought has, has from chapter 17, verse 1, to chapter 18, verse 1, three years has passed in, in between chapter 17 and chapter 18. And we know that it is the Lord's will for Elijah to go down and show himself to Ahab and that the Lord's going to send rain. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, you know, when you go three years without rain, there'll be a famine, right? So we're seeing the effects, but guess what? Time has passed. The Lord has done something in this allotted amount of time and he's still doing something right now, but Elijah had to wait for this time to pass before the before God of heaven was going to do what he wanted to do. We dealt with that this morning. Sometimes you and I just have to wait, but we have to be ready when the time comes, right? And so we see here in verse three, and Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and then hid them by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, go into the land unto all fountains of water and unto all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive that we lose not all the beasts. So notice this so that they lose not all of them. I believe all, some of them had already died. The famine was so bad that they were already losing their livestock because of the famine. Now you can sit on your throne, and you can wear the robes, and you can put out the orders, but friend, when you realize that you live in a world that is ordered by God, you can only do so much. And God has a way of taking someone that's high and mighty and getting their attention. And so here, here look, look what happens here. So Ahab says unto Obadiah, go into the land unto all fountains of water and all brooks peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went one way by himself. Notice that. Who is Ahab? He's the king. But now Ahab has got with Obadiah and they're splitting off and they're in search for water and a place to graze their livestock. I want you to notice something. Three years ago, Ahab's sitting on his throne. Ahab's wearing the robe. Ahab's got the crown. Ahab's sitting on the throne. Ahab's pushing out all the orders. But now, Ahab is the one that's out there in his feet, uh, in his stocking feet, going through the wilderness, trying to find some place to take the animals to get them something to eat and drink. Isn't it funny how God has a way of getting you off of your throne? Isn't it interesting how God has a way of pulling you off of your, your high horse, if you will. He come off of his high horse and now he's leading the horses. Now he's gone out trying to find them somewhere to eat and somewhere to drink because they're fixing to lose it all. So isn't it interesting we act like that God's up in heaven wiping the soot off his brow. But in all honesty, he's sitting there with his arms crossed waiting for us to get to the end of ourselves. Wouldn't it benefit us just to give in now and, <laughs> and say, okay, Lord, I, I get it. Because the Lord's got all the time in the world. You and I are the ones that's running out of time, not the Lord. So notice this, said Nahab, excuse me, verse six. 
So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. And Obadiah was in the way. Behold, Elijah met him and he knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell the Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. So in other words, he went from, from seeking God's man to kill him, to find him, to now he's leading the livestock and he's trying to get him somewhere to eat, somewhere to drink. He spent the duration of his three years searching high and low for God's man. But God's man was protected. But you know something? Year one goes by. Year two goes by. Year three has come. And you know what Elijah, I mean what Ahab has done? He's pulled all of his kingly resources together. And all of his authority and he is determined uh, he's going to find Elijah. But he can't do it. God protects him. So he spends all this wasted time still in his pride and hard-headedness before it gets to the point where he can't, he's got to quit thinking about Elijah and start thinking about what's around him because what's around him is fixing to be lost. You know what happens? We are on our high horse sometimes and the Lord takes us to the place where we have to take our eyes off of our high and mighty attitude and look around us and realize that we've got some things that are about to be lost if we don't turn back to God. And that's the way that the Lord does things. And so he says, and now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. All right, and so we get down to... uh, Let's, let's look at verse 13. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. He said, I did what I could. Now you want some more out of me. I've done everything I know to do. And now you, you're going to put me in a position where I have to lose my life. And uh, we, we understand here that as the story goes on and for sake of time that we, we know that Obadiah does go to Ahab and he lets Ahab know what Elijah is up to. And we find verse number 17, the Bible says, It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? It wasn't ever Elijah that was troubling Israel. It was the Lord troubling Israel because of Ahab's decisions. Elijah was just in the middle uh, and in the balance of how this was going down. He was the spokesperson, if you will. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. That's what gets us all in trouble. When we forsake the Lord and begin to turn our eyes on other things, it is always going to be that the problems of life that ensue, the droughts and the famines of our life don't have to be there, but they are, they are part of God's plan to draw us back. And so we see here, uh, verse 19, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel and Mount, uh, Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all, all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Notice this. Ahab has done what he was told to do by Elijah. For three years he searched for him. For three years he was going to run him down and get him. 
But now that he's come off of his high horse and he's come off of his throne and he's down there leading the livestock around trying to find them somewhere to get some food and somewhere to get some water, suddenly when he runs into the man of God this time, he's a little more attentive to what the man of God has to say. Not because the man of God was anything, because the one that this man represented is everything. And so you see here as we were talking this morning how God can, can work on a person and get them ready uh, to where they can accept what's being said unto them. And Ahab is getting there. He's working in this direction. And so there's no doubt in my mind that he has to have some regard to God and what God is doing. Okay, now we find here that Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Now understand, we're dealing with this on a national level. So even though Ahab's been listening and a little more attentive, we still got a problem here with the nation of Israel. Let me get back over here if I can find my place in James again. I want to show you something. Look with me in James as you hold your place in 1 Kings 18. The Bible says here, uh, the Bible says in verse 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years or six months. And he prayed again. And the earth uh, and, the, and the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. Now notice this. We're dealing with rain. We're dealing with fruit. And then suddenly we go to verse 19. It says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Do you know what's going on right here in 1 Kings chapter 18? There's an error. There's error with the nation of Israel. God is trying to correct this error and the only way that God can correct this error is to allow these people to go so far that they have to reach the bottom. For their foundation to be shaken. Now you know kings are rich, right? And we dealt with the very first portion of James chapter number five dealing with that of riches. Everything that this king had to put his trust and hope and faith in is falling away. And now he doesn't have anything, but now he's getting more attentive. And essentially what we're learning all the way through this chapter is you can't give uh, yourself to your riches. But we're to be patient we're to endure some things. We're to establish our hearts because the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And the Lord wants us to take the dispensation that we live in, this church age, and do something for the glory and honor of God while we have the opportunity to do it. Because once he comes back, once the church is raptured, the game changes, friend, at that point. Okay, so we're to establish ourselves. We're to get we're to get established. We're not to grudge. We're not to, comp to to fight amongst one another because when we grudge against one another and fight with one another, then we take our eyes off of the cause of Christ and what He essentially is wanting us to do. But be patient. Be patient. We get this. We get this exhortation of patience. We get the example of Job. We learn to be patient. We see how patience paid off in Job's life. But Job also experienced God and had hope. Then we see here that not all the prayers, as we studied last week, that we've ever prayed are going to be answered. All right. And if you need some help with these verses, you need to go back and listen to last Sunday nights. I don't have time to dig into all of that again. But then we get here to Elijah. 
And, and the whole point of this chapter is that you and I need to be doing something for the cause of Christ that one who does err can be converted. A lot of this was to us, to help us be able to be effectual for what the, what the common goal is as the body of Christ. And the common goal is that you and I are to collectively work together with no schism in the body for the cause of Christ that we might be effectual towards those that are lost and undone and on their way to hell. And even for those that are in the church who have gone wayward to be brought back into uh, fellowship with the Lord. And so when we get to this point right here, where the Bible says he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. So notice this, without the, without the rain, God was bringing people low. And God, without rain, is going to use his man to prove that this, these prophets of Baal that were worshiping Baal were false prophets and that Baal was a false god. See, you and I, if we live right and do what God tells us to do, we're trying to win a world that's putting their hope and faith and trust in something else, right? Listen, this nation was founded on principles of God. I, I don't care if you're black, white, red, pink, polka dotted. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. That's the way it is. I'm not saying our forefathers had everything right and everything figured out for nobody does, but this was one nation under God. And we've let it go by the wayside, right? And uh, so we understand here that people now as a whole in our nation are not looking to God, but they're looking at other things to put their hope, faith, and trust in. And you and I, friend, are going to have to be the type of people that get established because if we're not, we're going to be carried about by every wind of doctrine. We're going to have to get rooted and grounded and understand there will be troubles, there will be trials. Not everything that comes our way is God going to spare us from. That, that some of the things we endure is for the effect of others. You bear a cross for the benefit of someone else. You know we've got a cross to bear. You know that there's going to be things that come up in your life. God uses things to, to, to be effectual. And you and I have to allow him to do that. And how we respond to the problems and the trials of our life have a big impact on those of others. And so here's what I want you to see. He prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth their fruit. But what happened between these two prayers? Well, we understand that he says here, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Do you know what God has done? Let me explain to you something. God has brought Israel to the place where they're at a crossroads. You know what we need today? We need to get to a place where we've reached a crossroad. Where decision has to be made. And we have to get people, people, the Lord, we can't do it. The Lord has to take people and get them to a place where they're receptive, just like we learned this morning. But then we, we see and we learn uh, that uh, the Bible says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, what happened? Well, we know through the chain of events here that looking at verse number 26 that the prophets of Baal took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. So undoubtedly they believed in what they were doing. Somehow they deceived themselves to the point where they believed what they were doing. So how do you know that they actually believed that? They were cutting themselves in just a few verses down. They believed so much in what they were doing that they were willing to cut themselves. Now here's what I want you to see. And boy, the Lord drove this in my heart today. As I went back and I read these scriptures for the millionth time. They cut themselves. 
They had cut this bullock up. They were wanting this bullock to, the, to be the sacrifice. They were trying to call on, on Baal to, 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 to lick up this sacrifice. But essentially, the ones that ended up being sacrificed was themselves. They went from cutting on a bullock to cutting on themselves. They were so ignorant, they didn't realize that their beliefs was causing them to become the ones that was shedding the blood. You know, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Essentially, what you're seeing, you're seeing a people who's bleeding because of the sin that's in their life. And what happens is, is when you turn from God and look at yourself, when this world quits looking at God and looks at themselves, they will be the ones that pay for their sin. The prophets of Baal are now chopping on their own body parts and bleeding. And they're begging and crying out to Baal and Baal doesn't ever show up. We have to get people to the point where they see that the place that they're going and the direction they're headed is only going to cost them their own limbs, their own health, their own life. And so we get on down here and we see here that uh, it, it, it does not work out for them. And uh, then we look at verse 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. We know here that 12 stones is a representation of the roots of the early beginning of Israel. The nation of Israel got their start how? Think about this. Here's what I want you to see. This whole thing. What's these 12 stones represents? Represent the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 children of Jacob. The start of the nation of Israel. What he's trying to do, God is essentially trying to bring them back to their roots. Where they started from. It's amazing where you can start from and where you can end up when you take your eyes off of God. Off of the Lord. So we see here that, and we know that he made a trench about the altar. And we know that uh, he cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. And he filled up 12 barrels of water and he, he wet the sacrifice. He, uh, he wet the trenches down. And we know the Bible says the water ran about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And verse 36 says, It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham. So he's quit talking to the prophets of Baal. Now he's talking to God. And here's what I want you to see here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get where I'm headed. It says here, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. And don't, don't show me, Lord. If, if, if they're going to see who I am, just let them see me as your servant. Don't, I don't want to be the one that gets the, 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 the pat on the back for what's going to happen. I don't want to be the one that is, that is blessed by the people. I want you to show up, Lord, and I want them to see that you have taken control and you have taken charge and I am nothing but your servant. And that I have done all these things at thy word. In other words, what I have done. Here's what I want you to see. See, we act like Elijah's just showing out. Elijah's not showing out by 12, 12 barrels of water in a, in a drought land, in a, in a land that's full of drought. He's doing what he done because God told him to do it. He says, I have done all these things at thy word. Those 12 barrels of water wasn't Elijah showing out, it was God. All right, and he says, hear me, O Lord. Do you know when the Lord shows up, he will show out? All right, and he says, hear me, O Lord, to hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And so we know that he's praying right here in the will of God. 
Now, I do want you to notice, if you will, that the Bible says, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. These prayers that Elijah are praying are prayers in the will of God. Now, we have not because we ask not, but we, we, but we have not because we ask that we may consume it upon our own lust, right? And we, we, we learn to pray in the will of the Lord. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he taught them to pray, thy will be done. That goes against what most people try to make out of these verses of Scripture concerning faith in James chapter number 5. It's about praying in the will of the Lord that the Lord can do with you something that is effectual. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell. Isn't that interesting? He's prayed that God would be the one that gets the glory. He's praying here that, 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 that this will, uh, says, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord. There was going to be no doubt when the Lord got done with this situation that the Lord was the one that handled this, that the Lord was the one that was in control. So far, Baal has done nothing, as we know that he wouldn't. So then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice of the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Now they said nothing back over here in verse number 21. Where Elijah said, if the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. They didn't have nothing to say. But when God got done, they had something to say. And see, that's the interesting thing here. But notice, if you will, as I've stated before, Elijah here, he's had to get out on a limb. He's done all these things. He's put the water in the trench. He's done everything God told him to do. But now he knows he's in a position that if God doesn't show up, he'll look no different than the the prophets of Baal. And you know, that's where God really shines is when you and I get out on the end of the limb and are willing to get out there where not many people will go. That's what he does. Now, I do want you to understand something. Where's the fruit on a tree? The fruit on a tree is at the end of the limb. You don't find apples on the trunk of the tree. Oranges don't grow on the trunk of the tree. But fruit from the tree is always out on the branches. Now here's what, I, here's what I'm, I'm getting at. He says, the, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Drop with me down here to verse 41. Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up. Eat and drink. So, so notice with me, if you'll just bear with me for just a minute. We see for three years Ahab's on his throne. Ahab is an authoritarian. He's got money at his disposal, men at his disposal. He sent people far and wide looking for God's man. But in the third year of the drought, we see that finally he quits looking for God's man and starts looking for some water and some grazing property that still has enough nutrition to feed his animals. And him and Obadiah are now searching for this property. So now he's had to come off of his high and mighty throne. God has a way of pulling you off your high and mighty throne. And then God shows up and God shows out. And now Elijah's having to tell him to get up. Do you know what happened? God took him from his throne out here onto his bare feet out in the wilderness to down on his face. And God has a way of doing that. And Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up. Eat and drink for there's a sound of abundance of rain. The God that took away the rain that got you off your throne that got you down here searching for land to feed your animals and for, to find water, the God that's put you on your face admitting that Baal is nothing but God is everything, get up. 
So Ahab went up to eat and to drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And as we find here in James 5, 18, the Bible says, and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. The Lord was doing something effectual, but he had to take a drought and he had to take people low to get his point across. Now, I don't have time to get into the fact that Jezebel wasn't down there when this happened. And Ahab got home to Jezebel and Jezebel changed his mind on some things. That's another message for another time. We don't have time to get into that tonight. But I do want you to notice this. Elijah's out on the end of the limb where the fruit's at. And here's what I want you to see. It says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one converteth him, or one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. Imagine, if you will, the difference in Israel if King Ahab had done right. How much sin would have been hidden and not done and, 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 and never even brought forth if Ahab had been the kind of king that he was supposed to be? Now, I noticed, and, and that, that, that works in the home. Leaders of churches, pastors, leaders of homes, fathers, mothers that raise children, Understanding that when you live right and you do right, if you can get one saved by the grace of God, if you can convert one from the error of their ways, you will hide a multitude of sin. And what is the whole point and the thrust of James chapter number five? That the Lord's coming back to establish yourself. Don't grudge against one another. Endure, be patient, tribulation will come. But if you'll endure, if you'll, if you'll have patience and endure it, there'll be hope. And, and it will be effectual. And you can do something. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and want to convert him, notice this now. When you see a soul converted from the error of his ways, we know according to the word of God that a multitudes of sin are hidden. Now notice this. That sin before you get saved by the grace of God, that sin in your life is going to take you to hell. Notice this. Bible teaches us though, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We understand that, that the Holy Ghost come to reprove the world of sin. And we preach repentance, right? And understanding this, that when you repent and get gloriously saved by the grace of God, your sin is cast into the sea of forgetfulness, friend, as far as the east is from the west. Before I got saved, Brother Shane, that sin is gone. And it will not be brought up to me when I see the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I do want you to know this. I'll not stand at the great white throne judgment. I'll have to be at the behemoth seat judgment and I'll have to give an account for the deeds done in this body, but it won't be heaven or hell. It'll be whether or not I have anything to present to the one that died for me. So understanding that, I want you to understand something. When I got saved, the man and the families and the people that invested in me, there was a multitude of sins hidden when I got saved by the grace of God. And I'll say this, I want my life to count for something. And, and I, want, I want for my life to be effectual for someone else. And, and you understand, and I know I'll go with this a lot, but, but Stephen has got some things that are held at his account for the things that Paul done. 
The things that Paul done for the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe Stephen will get to enjoy some rewards on account of that. What are you saying? I'm saying that, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner for the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know, salvation is something that should multiply. It should exponentially increase. See, when you get saved by the grace of God, somebody invested in you, you got saved, and a multitude of sins were hidden, but not only in your life. If you can go out and be effectual for the cause of Christ and see another soul saved by the grace of God by your message that you carry, that one that invested in you, that, that, that helped you see your need for a Savior, will also get to re- have rewards in heaven for the souls down the road that I witnessed to that got saved by the marvelous grace of God. It exponentially increases. And so here's what I want you to see. Elijah's praying things because he's needing things to be effectual. The, the prayer is for effect. But understanding that he also had to get out on a limb and out on the limbs where the fruit is. And this is what I want you to see. Proverbs eleven twenty nine and 30 says, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. That sounds a whole lot, a whole lot like what we found in the first part of James chapter number 5. But the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Now you and I are what? What are we? John 15 and 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So he that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Proverbs 11, 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Essentially the thrust of James chapter number 5 is you and I need to be winning souls. You and I need to be trustworthy. You and I don't need to grudge against one another. You and I don't need to get caught up in, 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 in life. You and I need to be laser focused on the things of God because while we're in this dispensation, God's wanting us to win souls. And notice this. Where is the fruit? It's on the end of the limb. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now, We've heard about a tree of life before. Genesis 3 and 22 says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 24 says, So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. In other words, man had sinned and man could not access the tree of life ever again in the garden of Eden. But you understand that in this dispensation, something's happened. Jesus Christ was born of a woman made under the law to redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. How do you become adopted in the family of God? You become a child of God because you receive something that he's done. You understand the fruit of righteous, a righteousness is a tree, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. When you and I do what we're supposed to do and you and I live right before people and we take a gospel message to them, they can get saved by the grace of God. Why? Am I the tree of life? No, 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 no. My righteousness is filthy rags. It's not my good works that gets me to heaven. 
but because I'm going to heaven, I have some works. And people see the works that we have. That's why that above all things in James chapter number five, your yeas need to be yea and your nays need to be nay because people when they look at you need to see that they can trust you because trusting you is everything because we are the body of Christ. We are the body. The church is the body. And so here's what I want you to see. We are the branches. Notice this, John 15 and 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Well, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. But notice this, he says, for without me, ye can do nothing. I'm a branch, but I'm in him and he's in me and my branch, me being a branch is attached to the tree. He said, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. Do you know who the tree of life is? Jesus Christ is where you go to get salvation. See, there's people who want to talk about a tree, and I understand the Bible talk and Revelation talks about a tree of life. But I do want you to understand something, friend. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no life. There is no life apart from Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want you to notice if, you, if you'll just look at this for just a moment. We, we understand that, that, that the Lord is the vine and we are the branches. And out on the end of the branches is where the fruit's at. And the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Now, you need to consider this matter of John chapter 15 and where John chapter 15 is at in the time period of Jesus Christ. The upper room has passed off the scene in John chapter 14. And in, in John 15 and 16, we're seeing what hap- what's happening here. Jesus is making his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now we got locked out of the Garden of Eden where the tree of life is at. And in this portion of scripture in John 15, when the Lord said, I am the vine, you are the branches, he's pointing them to the tree. You're you're the branches, but I'm the vine. And he's making his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where we know was a place, a grove of olive trees. And we know that the olives, friend, is what they pressed to get the oil. And the oil is a type and picture of the Holy Ghost of God in the Scriptures. And so I want you to know that he was pressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that. He had sweat, drops of blood that poured out of him. And we know that it's just like the olive. When you mash the olive, that's how you get the oil. And Christ was under such a burden and being pressed upon so hard that he had drops of blood coming out of his pores. But I want you to notice that we come out of one garden where we're being locked out from a tree of life. But the tree of life is going to the tree at Calvary. And he's going to bleed and die there. And when he dies, he's going to be buried And in three days we know that he rises again and we know that now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God ever liveth to make intercession for you and for me. But the Holy Spirit has come. You know why the Holy Spirit has come? To indwell the church. And he indwells the church so that the church can go out as branches attached to the tree of life and that we can give forth the fruit that someone could take from the fruit of the tree and eat it, friend and live forevermore. 
And so he that winneth souls is wise. So brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and want to convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death. But I'm glad it doesn't stop there. That soul who is saved from death can also be effectual. And because of his witness and because of his life and because of the Holy Spirit that now indwells this individual, this individual can go out and win souls for Christ and exponentially increase the kingdom of God and the body of Christ can grow. I thank the Lord for that. So Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the earth uh, and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Then we see from this example that if any do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. You and I need to be serious tonight about a lost and dying world, about converting those that err from the truth. You know, we live in a world today where almost everywhere we turn, there's error from the truth. Apart from this King James Bible that we hold in our hand, the Word of God, everything else is a lie. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. If we don't gauge it by this book, if we don't gauge it by God, we're gauging it wrong today, friend. So we need to convert, we need to be, we need to be serious about winning souls for Christ. He which Winneth souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I wonder tonight, as we conclude James chapter number five tonight, where do you stand in your relationship to the Lord? Are you, are you caught up in the riches of this life and have gotten cold and complacent and, and, and you're like Ahab, you're just on the throne, you're, you sit on the, the, the high throne of your own heart and you, you, you look at the world's riches and you're caught up in that? Or are you, are you of the crowd that, that says, even so come Lord Jesus and all you can think about is, is you're for and no more and just getting on to glory and wanting the Lord to come back? Or, or are you understanding today that the Lord will return, that we need to establish our hearts and get rooted and grounded because he is indeed coming back? Are you of the sort that is so established and, and so concerned that when troubles and trials come in your life, you can look at it with wisdom and understanding that, that this tribulation, that God is doing something with it, He's working patience in your heart. And with, those, with that patience, He's given you experience. And with the experience, He's given you the hope that's needed, friend. And He's allowing you to know Him and the power of His resurrection through that of suffering, just like Paul. To know that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To be with Christ is gain, but to, uh, to, be, to be dead is gain, but to live is Christ, I mean. To live on this earth is for the benefit of others. Are we looking at our life on this earth in the, in the mindset that we're here for the benefit of a lost and dying world? For our brothers and sisters in Christ who need a leg up or a helping hand or a spur on to move forward for the cause of Christ. Or do sometimes we get caught up in our affliction and our trials of life and, and go wayward? Friend, I want you to understand something. At the end of it all, in the conclusion of the chapter, it's all about winning souls. And at the end of the day, Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet because in this dispensation, he's extending an opportunity that all men should be saved. He died for every man, woman, boy, and girl. 
And I'm afraid sometimes we walk by society today and never think when we pass the lost and dying world where they're headed at the end of their life. Friend, I'll say this. We can't always be standing on a street corner preaching. We've got jobs to do, life to live. We've got bills to pay. We've got family to take care of. I understand that. But I tell you what we do. We live a life. We live a life that people see. People know if you're serious about the things of God or not. And I'll tell you, the one thing Christ is concerned about, the thing he was concerned about when he came to this earth, it's a lost and dying world. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. He was poor and come with nothing. He didn't expect to take nothing back with him except for the church. Except for those that he died for, which was everyone, but the church is those that have accepted what he done for them. And so you and I need to be as serious about a lost and dying world as the Lord is. Let's all stand to our feet tonight.